Some of you may look up here and wonder, why is Dennis back up here? Because we look a lot alike this morning. We sent a little text this morning with cute emojis saying, wear that shirt and wear those pants. Uh, so Dennis, if I go down, you're tagging in, okay? All right, so we're in. Well, since this is the first time I've really talked to you, I'm Pastor Evan. If you don't know me, I'm the senior pastor here. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I hope you are as well. Uh, we're in a series where we're talking about our vision and values as a church. Dennis brought up that just a couple weeks ago we voted in as uh, members uh, uh, the potential for a, a position for youth, but it also would affect everybody, frankly, in the church in a number of ways. Uh, but we also voted in a vision statement. It's up in front of you. We can read it in just a moment. And, and so last week we focused on that first clause that's in blue there. We exist for God's glory. And, and we've looked at Colossians 3, uh, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above, that's what we were talking about. Colossians 2 talked about dying to self, Colossians 3 talked about rising with Christ, and the goal that was, was left for us is that glorifying God is your goal. And I said it was your goal today, I said that last Sunday, that's still your goal. If you're a, a believer, if you follow Jesus Christ, your goal is to glorify God. That doesn't change. That's not just because we voted on a vision statement. That's what scripture tells us to do. That's why we were created. We're to glorify God in who we are. So let's read, though, this vision statement together. We're going to do this every week, so we kind of lock it in. Uh, join with me. We exist for God's glory. Guided by God's word through worship and prayer, we will share joyfully the good news of Jesus Christ to make more disciples and bring the light of Christ to Lincoln and beyond. I'm working on memorizing it, but I'm not quite there. And if you've been in front of people, you know what you think you memorized, you didn't. It takes a long time. We're going to focus on, on a little bit more of the vision statement itself this week uh, and looking at kind of the fact that once we weren't a people and now we are. And, and we're going to specifically look at, at being the priesthood of believers, which is something that Protestant churches in general have held to uh, since the Reformation. That's been highlighted. But the covenant, our denomination specifically, really holds to it, the, the priesthood of all believers. And we're going to look at our background passage in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 today. But, but I want to point out, I'm a pastor, I'm not a priest. Right? I'm called to a different role within our congregation. I'm not called to be a priest. We're all priests. And it's an interesting thing that when I bring that up, there are two topics when I bring them up among other believers that are hard for us to grasp in our day and age for some reason. One, that we're called saints in scripture. If you're a believer, you're a saint. We say that, and, and I often, like most people, think, no, my grandpa was a saint. I'm not a saint yet. I'm not old enough, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, or I don't have these. No, if you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. That's how Paul addresses it at times. You are a saint. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're actually a priest, as it turns out. We are priests together, the priesthood of believers. And those are hard things for us to grasp, but, but let's go with the priest uh, language today, and let's look at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession." that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You and I are priests, brothers and sisters. We have a job to do. 
And I want to investigate just a little bit some Old Testament background of, of priests and priestliness that will inform this passage going forward so we can make something of it and, and get something out of it. So I'm going to skip back to Exodus 19. It'll come up on the screen. and read just a couple verses from that. This is after the people of Israel have been uh, released from bondage in Egypt. They're no longer slaves. They're out in the desert. Moses is about to be given the next chapter, the Ten Commandments and the law following that. And in Exodus 19, starting at verse 1, we read, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. Going to verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Do you hear then, if you put that next to what Peter just said, do you hear the echoes that Peter has of this passage? You're to be, to be a kingdom of priests. You're my special possession. Right? You hear the same language that Peter's bringing up. Israel was intended to be a nation of priests, people who would show the world who God is by who they were, how they functioned. And, and you see, if you look at priests within the Old Testament, you see a progression of, of how this worked out uh, in, among the people. People in the earliest days functioned largely as their own priests, uh, giving sacrifices on their own. Eventually, you see it kind of transition to family and clan heads that are taking on the role of priest for the people. And by this point, then, they're about to get instructions that of the 12 tribes, one tribe is supposed to keep you on track as your priests. So a nation of priests who have a tribe of priests to help them, who can, who can sacrifice for atonement, who can keep them on track to keep them pure in that task of being priests. And as we talk about priests, I want to point out two important things that we have to keep in mind. And this matters to us uh, as priests, the priesthood of believers. It mattered in the Old Testament very much. We, uh, in our day and age, tend to focus on some of the softer virtues a little more than some of the harder virtues. And the softer virtue of love permeates the world that we live in, especially the softer side of the softer virtue of love. And so we tend to talk about God is, and love is the one that comes to our mind immediately and foremost. And it's absolutely true as well as the, all the other praiseworthy uh, things we've talked about in the past. God is good. God is just. God is, is uh, uh, omnipotent, omnipresent. God is Father, right? All these other things that we can bring into play. But the one that you always have to remember, and if you don't remember it, next to God is love. The Old Testament falls apart in our understanding, and frankly, at times, just becomes flat-out offensive. And you won't understand the cross either, and that is God is holy. God is holy. In fact, say it. God is holy. God is love, but God is holy. We have to remember that. You have to remember that in the discussion we're having now, and you have to remember that as you read Scripture. We also have to remember that sin is an ever-present issue in our world even now. And sin destroys, sin uh, decays, sin deforms. Sin is really why we have this sickness, decay, and death that plagues us. 
But sometimes it's easy for us, uh, even in the Christian world, to try and cope with the things that go wrong by having what would be called a humanist worldview, where we basically just say, this is the way the world was intended. But we have to reject that. We have to recognize that sometimes things go wrong and it's not as God intended. God's, in fact, trying to fix the effects of sin. Hold those two together. That, that we suffer because of the effects of sin and that God is holy and that matters in this conversation. Israel, within that context, then is called to be a nation of priests to show the world who God is. A holy and loving God. And so he calls them. He says, you're a special possession, but I've got something in mind for you. Then if you go to Leviticus 15.31, I'll only read verse 31, but if you want some interesting reading after lunch, read Leviticus 15, and you can see that God cares about everything about us. Leviticus 15.31, you must keep the Israelites, instruction to priests, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. See, the holiness comes into play. If you want proximity to God, stay holy, stay pure, stay clean. Keep the people on track. The tribe of priests keeps the nation of priests on track in their job. And and it's doubly important in that Leviticus passage because it's pointing out God's very presence is with them. They get instructions back in Exodus to make the tabernacle where God is going to be with them, where they can make the sacrifice, but also where God's Shekinah, his glory, will dwell with them in that place. And and think of it this way. If they want to keep uh, contact with God, they have to live a certain way. So imagine this example. uh, If you see a movie or a TV show and you want to gauge if you should have watched that movie or TV show, you could ask the question, would you watch it with your mom, right? Or would you watch it with your grandma? Or in my case, would you watch it with your nine-year-old or your seven-year-old daughter? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things that a kid can't watch or shouldn't watch that an adult shouldn't watch. There are things that grown-ups can watch that kids shouldn't that are appropriate. But sometimes we, we, we watch things and we think, boy, maybe that was just a big mistake. God can't exist within that world of sin if it's going to persist within the community. Now, they need to stay holy. That's why they're staying on track. And they need to stay separate then. That's part of the call. But I want to point out, and, and Warren Wearsby points this out nicely, he said separation is not isolation. This is an important distinction. It is contact without contamination, right? Because they're going to have interaction with other cultures, with other nations around them, just like we are as priests in our day and age. We're going to have interaction with all kinds of other people, right? We go to work. We have to be around people who aren't necessarily believers all the time. So we can't separate. We can't isolate, but we can't have contact without being contaminated. That's why Israel gets these instructions. Sometimes it's okay to bring other people into the nation, into the people group, Rahab or Ruth or something like that or not. Israelites by birth, they're not Jewish by birth, but they get brought in. But sometimes God gives the instruction, hey, these neighboring peoples, the sin is so deep, do not marry in, because you might think you're going to convert them, but they're going to take you down instead. Holiness matters within the community as well. And the job of the priests within that community is to work on behalf of the people before God, to keep them on track, to keep them pure, so they would sacrifice for, for the the atonement. They would uh, do the administration of the temple. It was actually a big task. They would teach the law. 
They would judge in some cases. The high priest himself would function as a prophet in some ways to, to reflect to the people. The priest is a go-between to reflect the people what God is saying and instructing. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are a priest, that means something. First of all, we should point out that, that any of our lives, whether you're in Christ or not, your life is a truth statement. It says, this is a worldview that I have, and it stands up compared to all the other worldviews that are out there. But if you're in Christ, you have a particular worldview and an understanding of how the world works. And that's not always going to be well-received by people around you who don't have that worldview. It doesn't always comport well. And we read here, in Christ, part of the truth statement is, you're special, you're set apart, you're God's treasured possession. And we love that. Yes, I'm special. That's a good thing. But we have to recognize we're set apart to do something. We're consecrated for a task, and that comes uh, with recognizing what God has called us to, and there's a responsibility that comes with that as priests. Israel was a nation of priests. You see the transition, if you look through the Old Testament, of going from sort of individuals functioning in a priestly manner to family and clan leaders to then eventually the Levite tribe. Of the 12 tribes, they're the one who gets no allotment. They get no land. They're supposed to be supported by everybody else. And, and within that, a specific family line, Aaron's family, is, is tasked with special tasks within that priestly line. And I want to point out some qualifications that you'll find interesting, but I, they'll lead us to where we go here. So bear with me for a moment. If you look back in Leviticus 19, you can see the qualifications of being born into that family, of men then being priests. It would have been men. And the demands were, were threefold. There was a physical requirement for being a priest. You had to actually physically be able to do the job. Just like if you're taking an animal for sacrifice, it had to be firstborn and unblemished. You have here that physically you have to look the part, if you will, and that's going to rub us the wrong way. Remembering that God is holy, that's what's being demonstrated here. And, and I'll point out, those who didn't meet that, they were always supported. Those who couldn't physically do it were always supported by the tribe and by the 12 tribes. There was a domestic requirement. You had to have things in order in your home because the third requirement was you had to be able to actually do the job of, of sacrifice and of counting the money and these sorts of things. And you couldn't be pulled away because home life was pulling you away from that. That was not an excuse. And so to take an example here, the, the physical demands, you had to be, as I said, ceremonially clean in a sense. You had to remain clean. You had to remain pure. And you can read Leviticus 19 and bear in mind God is holy, and that's what's being demonstrated. As far as the domestic life, they had to be married, and they couldn't be married to somebody who had been a prostitute or had previously been married. Even in their lives, they had to show the holiness factor. And the public responsibilities, they couldn't be pulled away because of death in the family or anything else that would come in their way. This was a very physical job. It was a demanding job. People were coming to them. It was like a butcher in many cases, but it was also like an accountant in some cases. It was, it was a demanding kind of job. And even as pastor, I'll tell you what, sometimes it's a very physical job. I have unclogged toilets and vacuumed too. They were doing very physical things. And they had to do it right. And even the high priest couldn't be pulled away. So a regular priest could be pulled away maybe if mom or dad died. They could take care of that. Otherwise, no excuse. High priest, not even then. It was a specific job on behalf of the people. That's why they're supported by all the people. And you see these requirements. But what's so curious about it 
if you read Leviticus 19, is that they're all physical requirements. Not a spiritual requirement among them. It's fascinating, isn't it? They had to execute the job. They're, they're showing who God is, but they're showing in a particular way. I don't know if you've ever had a, a job that you weren't passionate about that you could do. Um, I've had a few of those. They weren't bad jobs. They were great jobs. I remember having a job. I was in it for about a year and a half. Um, it wasn't my industry. It was a nice industry. It just wasn't my industry. I wasn't highly passionate about it. The work itself, I was being trained to do the work. It wasn't really work I was passionate about. It was fun. It was interesting. The coworkers were nice. I wasn't really passionate about getting to know them. But I could physically do all the demands of the job. I could execute everything I was told to do. I could learn and advance and do more. But there's a total difference uh, because I had people in, in different uh, jobs I've had that are just passionate about what they do. They love it. Maybe you are too. I'm passionate about what I do now. You can tell the difference, can't you, between somebody who's just doing the physical responsibilities versus somebody who loves it and that's why they wake up in the morning. Right, there's a huge difference. I'm not saying Old Testament priests were all not passionate about their job, but that wasn't a requirement for the job. As priests, as those who are in Christ, the requirement is spiritual. It's not physical. The requirement is that we're in Christ and that we're being made into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there you are. There you're a priest. And, and then as the people, we are gathered together as the priesthood of believers, a nation of priests, to show the world who God is. Do you see how those relate to one another? And I just want to make then two important priestly notes. It's two and a half, maybe three. We'll call it two and a half. The first thing I want to point out, and it all falls under this heading, is as a priest, you have direct access to God. You don't have to go through somebody else to get to God. You've got it. But that comes with responsibility. We have a responsibility to maintain a right relationship with God and a responsibility then to witness to God's work. I'm not old enough to have experienced the entire evolution of the phone. In fact, none of us are in the room, but some of you experienced more than I did. Some of you I know, I've talked to people who have experienced the days when you called an operator. You wouldn't have done it like this, right? Uh, you called an operator, and you had the little thing, and they had to physically switch it in a switchboard, right? And you had an operator that was, it was a three-way call at that point, because the operator could listen in, and often did. Um, I know, though, when I, when I was growing up, calling long distance was a big deal, Right? You just didn't do it unless you absolutely had to do it. And if you did it, you did it for a short time. Now we can, every call is local, as it turns out, even if it's long distance. Back then, you didn't. Uh, we just found recently magnets at our house of the 1-800-CALL-ATT with Mr. T on them. If you remember those in the 90s, right? And nobody calls collect anymore. There are all these different ways that, that we've communicated with each other. When I was first dating Stephanie, cell phones weren't really a thing that you could afford anyways. And I remember getting penny-a-minute calling cards. That was a huge deal. So I could call her in Chicago, right? And we could talk as long as we wanted until the calling card ran out. But here's the thing. Direct access to somebody is only good if you use it. Right? It doesn't do any good to buy the calling card and never use it. It doesn't do any good to have the phone and then never actually call on the phone. We have this direct access to God, and we have to maintain a relationship that allows us to actually have that access to God. And that, that comes with uh, the need to maintain this right 
relationship. And why is that such a responsibility? If you look back at Leviticus again, uh, 15.31, what did it say? Keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean. So they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. You see, the ultimate result is if we destroy that relationship or don't utilize that relationship, we just fade away from God. It's just done. The relationship is important because uh, we need to have that proximity to God if we've got that direct access. And proximity means purity. It means we have to be on a track to be in close communion. So as I brought up earlier, I brought up the issue of saints and priests. I bring those up within Christian context, and a lot of us don't think I'm a saint. A lot of us don't think I'm a priest. I even have the same problem. I, I don't always think of myself as a saint or a priest. Because we think those are super Christians, right? Those are the people who excel. We think of it like the freemium model, right, on the Internet where you can— people can pay for a free service or they can pay for the deluxe service. And, and you get the free service and you get a bunch of the basic features, but if you pay for it, you get all the features and the paying, paying people are actually making it work for all the people who are getting it free. That's not how the Christian life works. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either on the path of discipleship or you're not. There's no two-tier of Christianity. There's just Christianity. There's just following Jesus Christ. If you're in, you're a saint, you're a priest, and you're on track to stay pure, to stay close to God, to be in that relationship. And so let's return back to our example then of what you watch. Imagine that you are going to watch something, and it's just not something that would be God-honoring. Is God going to be with you? Just like if you watch something that uh, you wouldn't watch with your seven-year-old daughter, you can't physically be there with that person, Right? So it is with sin in our lives. When sin is in our lives, we're not going to be in proximity or relationship with God. God is not going to be next to us. We've moved away in that case. That's why the purity matters so much. And I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters, sometimes we ought to be ashamed of what we're watching and listening to. We really ought to. I, I went to a movie a few years ago. A friend of mine, Christian friend, invited me to a movie. Stephanie and I are really good at vetting things and checking reviews and all that because we just are trying to be more and more and more careful in what we watch and listen to. We'll shut things off. If somebody recommends something or we start something, we say, man, this is just not worth watching. Done. Not even going to go into it. Went to a movie with a friend. He wanted me to help him decipher this movie. And man, I was ashamed after walking out of that movie. I thought, this was terrible. This reminds me of why I don't do this. It was awful. We don't want to do that. Why would we do that? Why would we try and break that relationship that we have with God just for a little bit of personal fulfillment or fun? And yet we do it. Yet we're not screening what we do and what we watch and what we listen to and what we say. All those things that shape us. And we have to admit, if we're not changed, or if we're not uh, changed by Christ, we will never change for Christ. And we have to be changed from the inside out and say, I reject those things. Done. Because I don't want to destroy the essential relationship I have with God. Because God's not going to be there when I sin. I'm breaking that relationship. I don't want to break it. I make that choice. We have to choose presence over instant fulfillment. That's what we need to do. That's a supreme challenge. 1 Peter 2.9 Again, let's look at that. What It gives us the instruction as what we're supposed to do as priests. You're a chosen people, royal priesthood. That's you, everybody, including me. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may what? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Have you ever been somewhere where somebody's introducing somebody in a public speaking setting and they clearly don't know them? You know, they're kind of reading from a paper and they're just saying it and they're saying, okay, this person achieved this and this and this and they mispronounce a couple things and they just don't know. They're doing their best. If we're supposed to declare the praises of God, we should know God. We're not going to do a good job of declaring those praises unless we know God. You see, when we know God, we declare his praises naturally. They come right out of us, effortless. Keep that relationship close. Keep the proximity to God close. Make sure that you don't do things that push God away and outside of the picture so that you can't be together. The other thing is we are supposed to be witnesses to God. Priests don't function by themselves and they don't function for themselves. We are the priests, not just you and me. 1 Peter 2.10 tells us the remarkable miracle that God has done through his Holy Spirit in us as a people. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. The Greek on this is fun. It's very kind of stilted. Once not people, now people. It's very simple, caveman-like. I love it. Once you weren't, now you are. What a miracle that is, right? We could do a little census in the room and try and figure out what everybody's interested in, and we would not, we'd have little pockets of people who are interested in crocheting and some who are interested in cars and some who are interested in gardening, but that wouldn't be the reason that we're all together, right? We have a a bigger reason than those hobbies of why we've collected together because we've received mercy through Jesus Christ. We're disciples of Jesus Christ, and we know that it's important that we gather together as the people not just that we have an individual relationship at home. It matters to be the people of God, not just the person of God. And we're witnesses together as priests. Yes, we have the witness that that we have to tell the world in warning and in truth what the reality is of life with Christ versus life without Christ. We also have the the issue that we have the burden of, of the grace and the promise of sharing with people the good stuff. We're prophetic in that way. There's good. It's an inclusive message that we get from Scripture, not an exclusive. God doesn't want to push you away. God wants to draw you close. We are the messengers as priests, the people who tell the world about that. We witness by those things. We witness by the lives we live and by the things that we do for Christ together. And we witness most importantly by who we are, by our right relationship. We testify to being moved from darkness into light for God's goodness and what that means. I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who hang with God and his people in the difficult times. There are people uh, that have, sometimes they just go through a difficult time with the church and they don't feel close to God, but they still hang with the church and they still long after God. Man, if you're in the room, I love that you're still here. Hang with us. Hang with us because part of the job of the church is to witness to the truth and the good that God has done, and we do that best together. And we can witness to you. You can witness to us of the good things God is doing. And most importantly, church, one of the jobs of a priest is to bless. We're supposed to bless one another, and most importantly, we're supposed to bless the world. So you hear uh, about the Levites, you hear about Aaron's sons, the priests. If you go to, if I can find the right one, Numbers 6, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, you might not realize it until I read it. Numbers 6, 22 and following, Aaron's sons, priests, are given instruction. The Lord said to Moses, 
tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Church, we're not just individual priests. We are the priesthood of believers and we exist to bless the world. To let the world know of moving from darkness to light that they can be a part of that too. That they need to be a part of that. That's our job. We bless. We do that by having a right relationship, by being a witness to the truth and the grace that we receive through Jesus Christ. Once we weren't a people, guess what? Now we are. And now let's bless the world. Let's pray. God, may your face shine on us so that we can radiate like Moses when he came down after getting the law, so that people would see in us your image and we would reflect to them the image that you have given them. God, for that brokenness that sin caused in this world, let us never call that normal. Let us never call that the way the world was created to be because we know it's not. We reject that. We accept the fact that you give us hope. You give us the blessing. You call us to yourself. We can't fix the problem on our own. Help us stop trying to do that. We can only do it through your grace. God, help us stay close to you in relationship. Help us never be ashamed to come to you. Help us reject those things that pull us away. Help us make those daily and even hourly choices to choose you over the things of this world that keep pulling at us for instant fulfillment, instant gratification at the expense of a relationship with you. At the expense of breaking our relationship with others. And God, help us be a blessing. Help us have such inner character that as a congregation we have the character of your son, Jesus Christ, and we can't not bless the world around us. It would be impossible because you have shaped us and formed us into your image. God, for those of us who feel far away, reach down right now and draw us close. Reach down right now and give us tangible things that we can stop today and that we can start today that will stop pulling us away from you and will pull us right into your presence so we are encouraged to go forward and draw closer. God, hold us close to you. Show us your holiness and your love together. We pray this in your name. Amen.